Welcome to a healthy bite. You're one nibble closer to a more satisfying way of life, a healthier you, and bite-sized bits of healthy motivation. Now let's dig in on the dish with Rebecca Huff. Hi, it's Rebecca, and today I'm here with author Carrie Goyette. And Carrie, you're not just an author, you do all kinds of things, and I'm afraid I might miss one, so I'm going to let you tell me a little bit more about what you do before I talk about your book. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So I do a lot of consulting actually around the world. So I actually do some keynotes and speak on emotional intelligence and motivation. Um, I also work um, as a consultant with a lot of different clients in multiple industries. So I've worked in oil and gas. Um, I've worked with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, I've worked with some NFL teams. So I've kind of um, have really kind of had a variety of clients. Um, and then I also do some individual work with, uh, with either leaders. Um, and then in my spare time, I, I love working with nonprofits. So you've probably done your fair share of work with entrepreneurs of all varieties. Yes, yes. <laughs> in fact, we just finished a study on entrepreneurs looking at uh, some of the predictive factors of success. Oh, wow. Well, that'll be interesting. I hope you're planning to share some of that later on your website. Yeah. There's so much information on your website, which is, can you tell us the address of your website? So sure. it's thinkaperio.com. So T-H-I-N-K and then my company name, aperio.com. Right. So I was sharing your book with my husband. The book is Emotional Intelligence that you can actually use, which I love that you included that because I think that people throw around this EQ. Now it's like one of the big topics, I guess. A lot of people are talking about it, but I really liked the take you have on it. And I wanted to point out to another thing beyond the aesthetics of your book, which I really love. I love the colors that you chose, the font, everything, and how I think with all of the technology we have nowadays, it's really easy to lose people's attention. And so I think the technique you used in this book with, you know, the bullet points and then the call outs and the other thing I really liked about your book was that you had all of these symbols for the extra resources and you have a ton of information on your website. You have templates and guides and tutorials, videos and all kinds of stuff that go along with this book. Yeah. And so that was kind of one of, one of the reasons I wanted to, to do it that way was because when I go around and I do different keynotes around the world on emotional intelligence, you know, everybody gets excited about it knows that we need more of it. But then it's like, when I ask like, so what do you do? <laughs> what does it really mean? That's kind of where they fall short. And so I just wanted to take it and make it, you know, as you said, the, the book was really intended to be digestible. Um, it wasn't intended to be a textbook. So it was intended to kind of be able to consume it and, and to be very practical. And so we just, our team wanted to surround everyone with resources, tools, tips, um, you know, guides so that they could kind of figure out, okay, what do I do to, in my practical world to, to increase my emotional intelligence? Well, I think you definitely achieved it with this book. I told my husband that he could have it after I was finished with it. But the people in my tribe, I feel like could really connect with chapter six in your book. You're talking a lot about motivation and you talk about something that you call derailers. And then you actually said another thing about some of the um, myths around motivation. 
Can you talk to us a little bit about, because I think um, whether it's, you know, trying to start up that business or you're trying to lose weight or whatever the thing is you want to be motivated for, I think there's a lot of talk about people trying to stay motivated. And I liked your um, take on motivation and what you call derailers. Can you explain a little bit about that? So motivation, a lot of people have a misconception around motivation that, you know, I just need to motivate my child or I need to motivate my, my team members. And, um, and, and people are already motivated, but we have to learn how to tap into their own individual motivations. And so my child's motivation may be different than my motivation. So for instance, my daughter, um, I realized, uh, you know, I use all these different psychometric tools. And so of course I assessed her and I was like, oh, like I should have known that it made sense. But I think just seeing it, I was like, okay, she's motivated by something very differently than I was. And so I learned how to start tapping into her motivation and it just helped her thrive. I mean, one small instance, she's, she has a very um, altruistic motivator, meaning she gets energy and, and, and really feels alive when she feels like she can help other people. So she has a real servant's heart. And it was just something small as a mom that I did, but she had, um, she had applied uh, to, to volunteer for this hospital. And it, it was, it was interesting because it was very competitive. And so I got an email late at night and, um, and was told that she had, she had gotten it. And so normally I would have been like, I'll wait till the next morning. And, you know, I'll tell her when she wakes up thinking no big deal. But then I thought, wait a minute, this probably mattered. And, and she's very introverted. So it wasn't obvious, like she wasn't over the top about like, this is really important to me, but I thought, wait a minute, this is probably more important than I realized. So I went up, I kind of shook her and woke her up. And so I just wanted to let you know, you got this. And she teared up and said, mom, that meant so much to me. Um, and, and she was just like, so touched by that. And I thought, wow, I would have never thought to have done that. Um, had I not known that about her. So I think part of it is digging into what are other people, you know, if I have a team, what are they motivated by and how can I unleash their motivation? Cause it's already there. Um, they may be feeling motivated because it's not an, or demotivated because it's not being unleashed, but the more that you can tap into their existing motivations, the more you can, uh, drive success and help people thrive. And then our derailers are kind of interesting. You know, everybody wants to talk about the positive side of our, you know, strengths or our personality, and that's great, but we're also human. And I think when we can kind of just um, lean into that and, and be vulnerable and be honest about we're human and we're not perfect, and we all have things that, that take us off track. Um, and so the key is to be aware of them. And so when I work with leaders, one of the very first things we do is we actually look at what are their potential derailers? And then what are their triggers that are going to cause their derailers to surface and that could really knock them off their course? And when they know that, then we can build strategies so that we can prevent them from derailing. Because when you get in that moment, the reason it's a derailer is because it's really activated the emotional centers of your brain and you're likely to go into fight or flight. And that fight or flight in the workplace or even at home um, can be very subtle or it can be very... Um, it can be very amplified, but either way, you're going to get an emotional response. If it's blame shifting, blaming somebody else, or sticking my head in the sand, avoiding conflict, um, there's all kinds of things that can, that can throw us off track. So the key is to understand, I naturally have potential, uh, I have the potential to derail, um, but when I'm aware of it, now I have the freedom to choose how I respond. And so that's really what kind of self-awareness is about. It's, it's about giving yourself the freedom to choose the right response or a better okay. response. 
So we, we are already motivated and we get that, but we need to identify our derailers and then come up with a strategy for when we get derailed, basically. Correct. Okay. So do you go into, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. And understanding where we're going to be triggered. Okay. All right. So what gets us derailed? What, what is that thing that causes us to be derailed? And then how do we, how do people go about coming up with these strategies? I mean, I'm sure if you're in the a workplace and you're going through this, um, someone has hired you to do this assessment or whatever. I remember one person you talked about, Alex, which I kind of identified with him a little bit in your book. But um, so how do you come up with these strategies? So say someone's reading your book and they have identified their derailers. What, what do they do to go about creating strategies to stay kind of, you know, on track with their motivation? Yeah. So it's, it's, working on it in a time when you're not emotionally triggered. So if you know that you have a certain trigger and you know, um, let's say conflict avoidance, just like Alex in the book, um, very conflict avoidant. Um, let's say I know I'm conflict avoidant. Then what I do is I help people start to um, design scripts because when you get in a moment, let's say you've got, um, you know, my, my two siblings or my two children are, are fighting or I've got two team members that um, are having issues. Um, you know, in the moment, immediately you're going to want to run the other way, <laughs> and just and we tell ourselves we're delusional. We tell ourselves that, you know what, it'll work itself out. The reality is, most people problems that very very rarely work themselves out. And so I just work with them on if I know I'm conflict avoidant, then I'm going to have strategies. I'm almost and I encourage um, you know people to write them down. When I see conflict, I'm going to do step one, step two, step three. And so then when I get in the moment, I'm not going to all of a sudden kind of freeze up and start to run. And so it's just, a, it's almost like a script for them. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have to rely because when, when you um, have an emotional trigger, it actually drops your IQ down to about an eight-year-old and, and it causes you to usually go into fight or flight. So if I'm conflict avoidant, that's a flight response. And, and the problem is, you know, conflict, you know, if I'm running from a bear, I'm being chased by you know, a burglar, then absolutely fight or flight is the right thing to do. And that's what keeps me alive. But when we're dealing with people dynamics, it's, it's completely the wrong <laughs> response. And so we have to know that our brain is wanting to take us there because the brain can't tell the difference. The emotional centers of our brain can't tell the difference between a physical threat or a social threat. And so it's going into fight or flight when really we need to be using the thinking part of our brain. And so I just give them kind of like an algorithm or problem solving method to first ask a few questions. If there's conflict, then there's a problem. So they, I ask them to get to the root of the problem. So it's a series of questions. And my leaders that are conflict avoiding like that because it doesn't, it's not over the top. Like I'm not asking them to go in like guns blazing. <laughs> you know, I, I just say, I just want you to be a really good like investigator, be like Sherlock Holmes. And you're going to ask if, a series of questions, you know, what's the purpose of this conflict? What's, what's driving it, you know? So just getting at what is at the root of the conflict and then sitting those people down. And what they find is if they just have that conversation and ask really good questions, they actually don't even usually have to resolve it. It gets resolved by the people in the room. Wow. So experiencing the conflict. And so then they kind of are like, okay, this isn't so hard. Like I just have to ask good questions. It's really not about um, kind of choosing sides or saying like, you guys just need to do this or coming up with a solution. It really just is about asking the right questions. So I would say, you know, for anybody, recognize what your derailer is. I put the six most common in my book. 
Um, but really reflect on that and then just devise a strategy of how you're going to deal with it when you're in the moment. And that way, when you're in the moment and you, you can't access your, the thinking part of your brain very well, you just rely, you rely on a script. Oh, I think as parents, a lot of us can use those scripts. And I, I noticed at one point you said you had some squirrel wrangling scripts <laughs> available. And I thought, yes, I need those. I think it's definitely beneficial to have those scripts kind of in place in your mind. And like you said, even writing it down and kind of knowing what you're going to say when this particular situation arises. I think for parents, that's just... It's key because a lot of times these same things, you mentioned your daughter as an example. I have some things like this with my son where there's one activity that he has to do that I'm constantly, he doesn't really want to do this activity. And so I have to kind of coerce him to do it. And he's allowed a little bit of complaining, but there's always a tipping point when I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this conversation and now it's time for us to just move on. But you said something about uh, the rise of blame shifting. You talked about blame shifting and how you just mentioned it again. And I had read it in your book and you talk about how shifting the blame actually blocks our emotional intelligence. It does. That was, I mean, I was like, wow, I can see where that would be true. But how can you explain to us the kind of the mechanics of that? Yeah, so blame shifting is is really the brain going into fight response. So it's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. Um, we kind of put ourselves in the victim role. Um, mm -hmm. Why? Because we do either don't want to solve the problem or don't know how to solve the problem, or we feel like we don't have the power to solve the problem, or um, we're just judging the other person um, rather than solving the problem. And so that's where, you know, there's this dangerous paradox going on of, our IQ, like our smarts, we're getting smarter. It's gone up 24 points over the past three decades, but our EQ is dropping. And so that's just a bit concerning, um, especially in the environment that we're in. So with in a lot of research, you know, you can say, why is that tech? You know, is it technology? And, you know, most researchers will say, yeah, tech, technology definitely plays a part. But I also think there was a shift in the parenting uh, model where we really wanted, you know, our intentions were really good. We really wanted to protect the self-esteem of our children. And so that, that intention was good. But I think where a lot of parents went wrong was that we started to jump in and solve problems for them because we didn't want them to experience pain or, you know, we just wanted to validate their feel, feelings and validating their feelings is, is good, but you, we can't be stuck in there. We also have to teach them how to problem solve. And so that's where I'm seeing a lot more, you know, we're seeing the kind of the younger generation entering the workforce and they're just not quite as effective at solving problems. Now, the great thing is they're, they learn very quickly. And so we're, what we're finding is they're catching up really, really quickly. Um, but we kind of have to teach how do we, how do we resolve conflict? Because that's just people problem solving. Um, how do we resolve technical um, issues when we hit a problem. And that's where, when we look in the workplace, what distinguishes a top performer from a low performer, it's not when things are going well, it's when problems hit. That's what, that's when the two will start to diverge and we'll see that the lower performers either give up or they start blame shifting. So it, again, it's the fight or flight response and, and, and the high performers with high emotional intelligence dig in and are like, okay, that vendor didn't come through or they didn't do what they said they were going to do or, oh my gosh, this didn't work out like we wanted it to. All of a sudden, all these problems come. But the question is, I, I, I mean, I'm passionate about teaching, you know, working with parents to say, we have to teach our children how to be these awesome problem solvers. 
And so, and it really comes down to solving the problem. And when I blame shift, I'm avoiding solving the problem. Wow. That is so true. And so as parents, how, how do you recommend that we go about teaching this to our children? I mean, you know, I can definitely see that whole scenario you just described in interactions that I've had with some of my children. So how do we go beyond? I mean, yes, I do. We, and I think it's another thing that's difficult for parents nowadays because we are encouraged to validate their feelings and we're encouraged to allow them this, you know, I mean, that's what we're here for to share, you know, and to listen to these issues that they have and the complaints, but how do we go beyond that to the next step with our kids? Yeah. And, and again, validating the emotion is, is a really critical piece. So I certainly don't want that to go away, but I think right. beyond that. So, you know, again, if a child is, is having an issue, um, you know, you validate their, wow, you're really angry or you're really sad. Let's talk about that. And you talk about it for a little bit, but then kind of once you see them calm down a little bit, now we're going to go into, now I want to take them from the emotional part of the brain. And I want, I want to take them to the thinking part. Okay. Let's come up with some solutions. What ideas do you have? And you can really make it positive. I think as a parent, one of the things you want to teach them, there's different kinds of soft skills that are related to effective problem solving, but one is hope and optimism, like hope that there can be a solution out there. So I think, you know, the more that we can come alongside them and coach rather than solve the problem for them and say, okay, so what are some ideas? Let's, let's brainstorm that. And so I love doing that with my kids. Um, I would sit down with them and be like, okay, you've got a problem. Let's, let's sit down. Let's brainstorm. I would even get flip chart paper, like just like what I do with my, my leaders. <laughs> And my husband would just laugh at me. I'm like, no, it works great. Let's bring some, let's come up with some solutions. And, and all of a sudden it kind of almost became a game and we made it kind of fun. I love um, that. And I let them go first. Like what, and then if, if they had a hard time coming up with anything, I would say, well, what have you seen in the past? How has somebody else solved this problem before? So now I'm teaching them to make connections. Like, what are you seeing out there that has worked for somebody else? Um, and then eventually if they still can't like come up with anybody, I may throw them a softball. Like, I wonder if you could try this or what about this? And, and then that usually will get them going and they'll start coming up with ideas. And then, you know, and then I'm like, great. So which one of these do you want to do? And so then, then they'll do it and then they'll come home and be like, okay, I did it. Great. Well, so how did it turn out? And you know, sometimes it's going to turn out well and sometimes it won't. Oh, that didn't work. Great. So what did we learn about that? And, and, and then we go to, okay, so then what else could we try? And so we just kind of keep that going. And that's something that was really important to me as a mom was to really, you know, I thought, you know, if nothing else, um, you know, my legacy as a mother, I just want them to be emotionally intelligent because they're going to have to navigate, you know, bad professors, bad teachers, bad bosses, pain in life. You know, it's, it's life isn't always great, but we also know from the research that people with higher emotional intelligence thrive more and that they experience less burnout, less stress. And it doesn't mean that they're not, you know, ex you know, they're not facing hardships, but they just handle it with a more optimistic, hopeful attitude and they problem solve their way out of it. I think a lot of times as parents, we just want to swoop in and fix everything instead of prompting them and encouraging them to try to do the problem solving with us kind of on the sidelines, as opposed to a lot of times we just want to take over and, oh my goodness, you've got a problem. Let me fix it. Right. So I always ask the hard question to parents when they want to do that. I ask, is that your need to solve the problem? Or what is their need to learn in this? And so, yeah. oh, because sometimes it makes us, I mean, if we're honest, like I feel good jumping in and solving a problem. <laughs> and I have 
Well, my self background, because I love solving problems. That's why I'm a consultant. <laughs> um, and so I have to watch that because otherwise I will just naturally want to jump in because I'm like, all right, we have a problem to solve. <laughs> uh, the other thing to be aware of with parents is, and I just want to offer some encouragement on this, that it also doesn't feel good in the moment at times um, to let your kid learn. And I'll kind of give it an example just from being a mom, but my son, you know, I had to pull him out of school for an orthodontist appointment and he wasn't prepared um, for a presentation he had to do. And so it was like towards the end of the day, but it was his very last class. And, and he was like, Oh, just take me home. Like, I'm not ready. I need another day. And, you know, part of me as a mom, I thought, okay, what's the big deal? I mean, I already pulled him out. Wouldn't be any big deal to keep him home. And I thought, no, this is a learning opportunity. He chose not to be prepared. He needs to kind of face the consequences of that. And so I took him back to school. And I mean, he was mad at me. He was like, it's going to be your fault if I get a bad grade. And I don't like you right now, mom. And I remember he walked out of the car and slammed the door. And I just like questioned myself like, okay, did I really need to do that? It wouldn't have been, you know, and, and I will say now my son is in medical school (laughs) Um, and, and he will even refer back to that and say, I'm so glad that you really made me learn from my mistakes. Cause he said, I really noticed my friends, like when they get into an issue or do something wrong, he said, they don't own it. And then they don't do anything to fix it. And I'm like, Wow. So I think in the moment, like as a parent, it never feels very good. And you always question, you know, your decisions or how you responded. But I would say if you can fast forward a little bit. Um, and, you know, again, I have the benefit because I have an older kid that I've gotten to see that with. But um, I will say that they do, even though they get mad at you at the, in the moment, there are a lot of key learnings that they take away from those experiences. And that's where as a, as a parent, don't take away the pain from them. Just, just be there for them, walk alongside them and coach them through it. That is such an excellent example. I love that. And I completely agree in the times that I have allowed my son to have those natural consequences. It has always paid off in the end. So it is hard and it's like gut wrenchingly, you know, it just makes you want to cry and swoop in and fix it and everything. But the times that I've stuck to my guns and let him just, go through the natural consequences. It has always been a learning experience. And I feel like we've moved forward when we've done that. And, you know, my husband, he's a fixer. So I think this is, you know, an an area where he's definitely learning to let them experience those natural consequences and how painful, how excruciatingly painful it can be. Something else that you had said, it takes five positives to counteract one negative in the brain. And you talk about an, our old brain. So how can we teach our old brain new tricks? So how, is there a way that we can use this knowledge that it takes five positives to counteract one negative to our advantage? Can we cultivate an, a more of a new growth mindset? Yeah, we, we actually can. And that's, that's why I put some of the neuroscience um, in the book, because I think, I think it really helps people to understand, okay, how is our brain wired? Right. Um, how can I better work with it? So I, I think it just starts to make more sense to people when they have a good sense of the, of the brain. And so knowing that it takes, you know, five positives to level set one negative in the brain, I think then, you know, we have to understand the negative has just a 
a, a bigger impact and, a, and what I call like a longer tail. And so it just lasts for longer. And anytime we've had a negative experience, like, you know, somebody said something mean to us or something, I mean, we can just remember it like so clearly. But if somebody, you know, on the street walked by us and said, oh, I love your shirt, you know, we may remember it for a little while, um, but, but we're naturally going to forget that. And so I think it's really helpful in that when I experience a negative, I can say, oh, look at that. I can label it, I experienced a negative and whoa, I probably over-exaggerated the negative. Um, and so that's where, you know, I will do that um, often, like I'll, I'll experience it and then all of a sudden, oh, that really hurts, that felt um, very negative. And then I'll immediately go to, okay, but now, <laughs> oh, okay, there goes my brain again. Um, it's exaggerating the negative. And if I understand why, you know, our brain's sole, sole reason is to keep us alive, it's for survival. And so that's where um, neuroscientists have said, that's why I call the squirrel wrangling scripts, but our, our emotional centers of our brain are like a squirrel. And so if a twig drops, um, what does the squirrel do? It jumps and it runs up the tree. And so it over-exaggerated the negative thinking the twig was a, was a predator. And so if we understand that we're, you know, our brain is just hyper attentive to predators or anything that could be a threat, then we can step back and then go to the analytical or logical part of our brain and say, okay, but is that accurate? And what can I do to fact check that? What can I do to validate whether or not that negative is truly a negative? And so that's where I, you know, again, I get people in problem solving mode and saying, okay, you experienced that as a negative. Let's go see if that's accurate. Go, go validate that. Let's go see. So um, in the book I talked about, um, and this was, you know, again, an actual uh, thing that happened, but an employee was sure he was going to get fired. I mean, absolutely sure he was going to get fired. And, but had no reason to support it. And so I said, you need to go talk to your boss. And sure enough, what he picked up was somebody was talking about him, but they were just planning a party because he was getting married. And so um, he just completely over-exaggerated the negative. So the worst thing we can do when we experience that negative is just to let it sit and ruminate. We tend to ruminate about it. But if we can, again, it goes back to problem solving. What can I do about it? Is there something I can solve? Can I, can I dig in and validate whether or not that's truly as negative as what I'm perceiving? Um, and when you go to action, whether you're trying to coach your kids to come up with solutions and drive them to actions, or you experience a real negative emotion, and then you go into the action of, let me validate that, um, what it does is it kind of gives you a sense of purpose. And that action, kind of that mode of action, I'm going to do something about it, just makes us feel better. We actually feel a sense of, I've got some control over this. So, and so I think when we feel like we have control, we all of a sudden start to view it differently. And I think the other piece is, you know, a big component of emotional intelligence is perspective taking. So one of the other strategies you can do is say, hey, you know, talk to your best friend or somebody that's willing to be really honest with you. Hey, this just happened. What do you think? Because there's not an emotional um, component for them, so they can look more objectively up at it. And it serves two purposes. One, they can give you a different perspective, but two, they kind of just provide some support that we as human beings just need. We need that human connection. So when we bring in another human and say, hey, here's what I'm experiencing, where am I wrong in this or challenge me on this, it, you know, it, we get support and then we also get a little more accuracy. We get another data point. Right. And that it's, it's good if you have a friend or someone in your life who can do that truthfully, you know, be not just someone who's trying to make you feel better, but someone who's willing to offer you constructive criticism when necessary. I think that can um, also play a part in it because, you know, we've all had that one friend that always just tells us what we want to hear. That's probably not the person <laughs> that we need to go to in this particular scenario, but yes, I think that is really good and useful for everyone. I mean, you didn't write this book to moms, 
probably, but I think it's really useful. So who, who did you write this book for? Um, I wrote it for the leaders or aspiring leaders, but again, I'm a mom, a mom at heart. So um, just yesterday I had um, a female leader that came up to me and it was one of the nicest um, compliments I've ever gotten, but she said, not only did you help our team professionally, she said, but you saved my household. And I'm like, oh, that's and I think you did the work that was you saving it. But I just thought, wow, I mean, I like, it means a lot to me when, and that's why I love emotional intelligence because it doesn't just help you at work or, you know, in your professional career, but it really also helps you um, just as a human being and, you know, as a mom or a husband or brother, sister, um, daughter, you know, son. And so, um, yeah, so that's, I mean, I would say, you know, I, I wrote it for the leader, aspiring leader, but I think it's, it's much broader than that. So well, yeah, so I, Next book will <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I definitely think that. I mean, honestly, I read this book as as a mom and I got so much useful information out of it for, you know, just interacting with my son. I mean, when you have teenagers, this is a good book <laughs> because it helped me with a lot of things that I've been going through. And I think it, it would be good for because moms are leaders. I mean, you're leading kind of your family. And I think it's really important to have that emotional intelligence. And like you said, emotional intelligence that you can actually use. Thank you very much for coming on and for sharing with us. And so you have one Ted talk, right? Or do you have more than one? Two? Uh well, I technically have two. One was intended to be a TED Talk. One was just a piece of the conference um, okay. that, that got uploaded as a TED Talk, but I would consider it really a TED Talk. But yeah, there's okay. one TED Talk on motivation. The one on the motivation is the one that I watched and I was like, wow, this is some powerful information. So I'm going to put the link for that one in my post along with the show notes for this episode. We kind of see motivation in the wrong in the wrong light. Like we feel like we have to just get it, you know, we have to muster up all of our motivation, but the way you put it, I was like, oh, it's already in there. I just have to tap into it. Exactly. Yeah. And that makes it feel a little easier too. Oh, it did. I, I know. Cause after I watched you talk about motivation and the way you explained it, I was like, oh, I can totally do this. So thank you for that. Welcome. You're welcome. And thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Well, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be on here. I know a lot of my listeners are really going to appreciate the information that you've shared with us today. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review so other people can learn about this podcast. Find out more about sleep, hygiene, eating healthy, tasty recipes, zero waste lifestyle, and lots more on thatorganicmom.com. Help us spread the word. Be blessed and stay healthy.